Well, welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I have a special guest who is the author of several interesting books on Michigan history and legends. Some of her titles include Wicked Grand Rapids, Wicked Ottawa County, and Ghosts and Legends of Michigan's West Coast. Amber Rose Hammond has been actively researching legends, ghost stories, haunted places, and other unusual and macabre topics in Michigan history since 2000. She has a new book coming out called Mysterious Michigan, which you're going to want to pre-order as it looks pretty incredible. I'm so happy to have her on the show as a guest today. Welcome, Amber Rose. Thank you for taking time to be on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Michael. I'm excited. I love, I when you wrote me, I was so geeked to see your podcast because I just love, you know, Michigan history. And then you have one exclusive to like Southwest Michigan. Like, I was like, yay, a fellow, a fellow history dork. I love it. <laughs> I am. I am a fellow history dork. So could you tell me a little bit about yourself? How did you first come to be interested in writing books about Michigan history? Yeah, I, I grew up always interested in strange and unusual stuff. You know, I, I loved paranormal things. I loved watching movies that were spooky or had ghosts in them, you know, Ghostbusters. I was a child of the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And around the year 2000, I remember thinking that nothing in Michigan was cool. Our history was stupid and boring. Uh, there was nothing haunted in the state. I'd go to Barnes & Noble and pick up a book on haunted places around United States and Michigan was never included. There'd be like one little <laughs> mention sometime. And I'm like, what? Why? Like, it's so boring. So, you know, the internet's in full swing in the year 2000. And I one night happened to get on the Oracle that is Google and typed in haunted places in Michigan. And lo and behold, there were a ton of places that came up, people discussing legends and things that have happened to them in cemeteries and all kinds of fun stuff. And then I found, uh, cool little group of people called ghost hunters and i thought okay i got i got to get with these people and at the time they were the west michigan ghost hunters society so i wrote them and they invited me out to a cemetery to poke around at night which was terrifying and fun all at the same time and (laughs) i i joined them and we we would go into homes people would claim that they had something strange going on and we'd investigate and try to record any phenomena that they had said was going on, um, helped the people out. Often it was usually a mundane reason, like, oh, you know, you have bats in your attic making that sound. It's not a ghost. Mm-hmm. And, right. But over time, I quickly realized that there's really more to fear from the living than the dead. And right. after a few strange, like, encounters with some people that were not mentally well, mm-hmm. going into strangers' homes, I was like, this, mm, this isn't for me. Like, nope. And I realized that what I really enjoyed was the history behind why why something was haunted. Right. And so then I went down that path and started looking into all of the haunted history in the state and the legends and lore. Um, And then just from that point on, while doing research, I'd find other stuff like lots of true crime things. I'm not really a big true crime person, even though I have two true crime books. But Mm -hmm. you find these stories in old newspapers like argument over cows ends in death. Oh, 
Let's keep that one. What was that all about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know how that's like. You'll come up, you'll be looking for something else and then you'll stumble across some strange headline that makes you go, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I do the same thing as I clip it. I mark the date and stuff that I found it in the place of the, the newspaper. And then I go, I put it in a file, like something to look at later or something. And, uh, yep. And, uh, yep. Revisit I, I, it, you know? I did that even with advertisements when you're going through papers from the late 1800s, early 1900s, all of the patent medicines and this, the wacky stuff that they were, you know, cures everything. Right. Uh, and I wrote a whole segment on on that stuff in my Wicked Ottawa County book. But yeah, that's that's kind of how I fell into the Michigan history zone um, and stayed on this path of just very strange, unusual, whimsical, supernatural. Um, those are kind of like my areas with a little bit of true crime mixed in there when I find something interesting. Oh, that's great. So your new book that um, you mentioned that you explore some of the stories of the spiritualism movement which was, I know, was active in Battle Creek, also in a little town called Harmonia. And then you mentioned Vicksburg, and I've come across references to it in Sturgis. So in other areas of the state, I assume, because it was a big thing around the time of the post-Civil War. Uh, could you tell us some of the teasers that, of some of the stories that you might find in your new book? Yeah. Uh, spiritualism is something I've been interested in forever. And it's such a fascinating topic because it, it sort of was accidental. You know, mm -hmm. you have two girls in Hydesville, New York in 1848, Kate and Maggie Fox, that claim that they're communicating with the spirit of a murdered peddler that had been, you know, buried in their cellar. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, all the neighbors are coming over to check out what's happening. And these raps that they're working with, like one rap for no, two for yes, and then eventually spelling out the alphabet are allegedly saying truthful things to people. And before these girls knew it, and they were young, they were like mm -hmm. tweens. Um, they were like national, international sensations. And their life is a whole different story that people can look up and it's quite tragic. But whether they were telling the truth or not, it catapulted this movement that became spiritualism and people just jumped on it. At one point, yeah. it it had so many, it had millions of followers in the United States. And as it spread in Michigan, you have a lot of people that came over from the burned over district in Western New York, where they were seeing a huge influx of new religions. You had Mormonism, the Shakers and spiritualism mm -hmm. was over in that area. And those right. people came, you know, come over, came over and uh, settled in Battle Creek because that area was already just an open-minded, liberal, tolerant area. You had the Quakers settling there. Um, mm -hmm. And so it just was like a perfect breeding ground um, for that kind of stuff. And just people, it, it, it's, it's the history of Battle Creek is really interesting because you can also look up the whole Kellogg movement, like the mm -hmm. Seventh Day Adventists and stuff. Oh, yeah. So anyone out there, I mean, I'm I, Southwest Michigan, like Battle mm -hmm. Creek is a fascinating history with a, a lot of quirky, quirky history. Yeah. So you have these people settling over here. And at one point, some have theorized that Battle Creek, that Southwest Michigan was like the hub of spiritualism for the Midwest, mm -hmm. the go-to place. And during spiritualism, you had a lot of around the 1880s and onward, you started to have spiritualist camps. And these camps yeah. are the modern day, well, they're like 
if anyone out there interested in the supernatural paranormal, if you've gone to a paranormal conference where you can mm -hmm. go see celebrities from TV or meet a medium or have a tarot reading or go to interesting lectures, these spiritual camps were places where mediums of the day could go ply their trade. Uh, mm -hmm. You could hear lectures, uh, see people give messages from the dead. And they mm -hmm. usually happen for about a couple weeks in the summer months and Vicksburg just outside of Kalamazoo was one of the bigger ones that lasted from, I think around the 18, I think it started in the 1880s and went into the forties. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the longest one. And there was different camps around the state. You had Grand Rapids, Detroit, um, some that lasted longer than others, uh, but they were all over the place. And yeah. it's just a fascinating little moment in time because spiritualists if, if people out there are super familiar with them simply they believe that your life continues on after death that your soul can continue to grow and come back and help the living and their big tenet in their religion was that we can talk to the dead and they can talk right. back to us and yeah. also they believed it could be it was a scientific religion because they uh -huh. felt that it was it could be tested these mediums could be tested and they were proof mm -hmm. uh, because at the time you have the industrial revolution, the scientific, you have all this stuff going on. You have theory of evolution. Um, mm -hmm. Everything's being swept up in the 19th century with science. And so what better way to kind of join that than to say, Hey, our religion is scientific. And right. a lot of Christians also adopted spiritualistic practices because they felt it just complemented their existing beliefs. And Hey, why not? get that mm -hmm. comfort that you can talk to your son that died during the civil war or anybody else. And that's what a lot of people, why mediums were so popular because they offered comfort to people, whether, whether they were truthful or not. Um, they still offered that assurance that, Hey, we, we still stick around. Yeah. It really had an explosion after the civil war. Cause it started in 1840s, but civil war ends this massive, amount of loss in the country. Yep. I mean, there were so many men that didn't come home and then you have all the orphans and um, widows seeking some kind of answer, you know, cause not all of the, the men that were killed were accounted for, right. you know, there was, you know, cause that's why you have unknown uh, soldier graves around the country because they, they died and no one had the identification. So they didn't know where they came from. And there's a couple of unknown soldiers buried at Oak Hill cemetery, for example, and, yeah, uh, there, um, there's a, always an explosion of interest mm -hmm. in the paranormal after any kind of big conflict we've had. Like you said, the right. Civil War, and then after World War One, after World War Two, uh, during Vietnam, um, and then in more recent years after 9/11 and um, all of our stuff in the Middle East, um, we started to see a big rise in paranormal interest again. Right, and it's interesting because they, they say the historians, when I looked it up, what. Another factor was the advent of photography, which really wasn't in prior wars. It was, I mean, there was portrait photography and things, but all of these photos were coming back of the battlefields that were suddenly being run in papers and circulated in magazines. And so the trauma was, I mean, they were reaching for something, some answers, you know, they wanted to bring closure, you know, so I can see how some people maybe got susceptible to it or, you know, there was a lot of, uh, people that believe what they were doing. And then there was other ones that were doing it as kind of a sham to make money. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, yep. so it was a whole bunch of, one of the biggest critics of the day was Houdini. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, he was huge critic of the whole thing thing. It was just, yeah. he was, 
he was in the latter half of uh, this, the popula well, popularity of spiritualism, but he he was frustrated because he knew a lot of these fraudulent mediums because that was that's one of the mm -hmm. things I include in my book are some stories talking about that rampant fraud that happened. Um, he felt that these these mediums uh, were just magicians, potentially better than himself, mm -hmm. and he couldn't figure out even how people did some of the stuff they did. I know in the early 20s, the magazine Scientific American offered a cash reward for a true medium to come forward. And they were gonna test the, this medium. And they thought they had found one in this woman, Marjorie Crandon, and mm -hmm. it caused such an uproar with Houdini. Um, it, it's, there's a whole book on it. I'm, uh, I'm gonna blank on the title, but if you type in like Houdini, Marjorie Crandon, you'll probably find mm -hmm. the book. It, the author was wow. Michael Jahar. It's a fantastic read, an amazing story. If you, if this kind of stuff, um, <laughs> it sounds interesting to you. Yeah, Houdini yeah. was no. No, he did not like those spiritualists. <laughs> yeah, and I can understand why. I just came across a story I just did on the podcast about um, the Sarah Haviland. It was a mother that was here in Battle Creek, and she had connected up with the spiritualism movement, fell in love with a doctor who was the head of it here in Battle Creek, and she ended up murdering her three children by poison, and she had... She was telling the other spiritualists that she was being told to do this by the dead and that, you know, this was, a, you know, and the whole intrigue was that she wanted to go off and marry the doctor and, and uh, he didn't want the kids. And it was just, I mean, this a whole horrible story. And I did a whole episode on it on my podcast. I've been researching it for a while and it's, it was really a disturbed woman that, you know, and what was even more disturbing was the people that were tending the spiritualist circle gatherings with her she was talking about murdering her kids pretending that she was under the influence of the spirits and nobody connected to it that she was daily administering poison to the children right in front wow. of them it's just a really bizarre story you know and um but uh, so there's a lot of tragedy and things that went along i think with that movement but there, were there any there other was. interesting stories out of vicksburg that you came across that the, not particularly Vicksburg. Vicksburg was just the the area that you had that successful camp uh, mm -hmm. in Fraser's Grove, and it just it just thrived there. I think I read something. I don't know how accurate it is that the Seventh Day uh, guys finally kicked these. They they did they kind of did not like the spiritualists. The Seventh Day Ellen yeah, White there was some game. friction. Ellen White yeah, had yeah. some friction with them. Yeah, because yeah. and, and, and probably because they were. Some people were attributing to, well, that's what Ellen White is doing, you know, and there she was saying, no, 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 you know, because she was, uh, they were calling her a medium and that offended her, you know, because yeah. she would go into these trances and come back with these revelations when that was kind of the foundation of that faith. And uh, yeah, she was definitely not a fan. No, uh, no. And I, I had read somewhere that, you know, the seventh day finally ran the spiritualists out of Battle Creek and then they sort of... Yeah settled into the Vicksburg area and that's how yeah, that kind of just became likely. the area for that. Yeah. Cause Harmonia was there and then mm -hmm. uh, Harmonia kind of fell apart and uh, you know, the owners of that, they had a school out there for teaching spiritualism and things like mm -hmm. that. And that, and those people moved on to Iowa and left in the band after a big tornado hit the place. And uh, a lot of interesting history there. So you've also have a few other books. Um, one of the ones I've got here is the 
Ghost and Legends. Oh yeah. Of of Michigan's West uh-huh. Coast. I just got that in the it finally arrived and I started reading it. So do you have any ghost stories that you'd like to share? My might... favorite story from that book. That was my first book that I wrote. Oh, it's like 2009 now. It's like feels like so many years ago. And my favorite stories out of there are about the Felt Mansion and the Melonhead legend because they're it kind of intertwined and I've had personal experience with those stories. Hmm. Uh, for those not familiar, the Felt Mansion is in Saugatuck okay. and you can visit it. You can go in there. They even, I don't know if they've done it since COVID, uh-huh. but pre-pandemic, you could rent the mansion out. They would offer sometimes some, they'd dim the lights and let you walk around in, in the evening and ghost hunt and, and look for, you know, whatever spooky things you might encounter in the mansion. So I, I love these public places where people can go and maybe have an anomalous, strange experience, you know, that they can tell all their friends about. But back in the early 2000s, when I was with the West Michigan Ghost Hunter Society, they got involved with the mansion. The mansion was just sitting there rotting. It had been built in 1928 by Dorfelt, who was a millionaire inventor out of Chicago. And like so many of the rich people in Chicago, they would build summer homes in West Michigan and along right. the you know other side of the co- uh, the lake. And so this was just his summer home. And it's it's massive. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And he was terrified of fire so because of the Great Chicago Fire. So this home was built out of steel, slate roof, like mm-hmm. this concrete. This home was not going to burn down. So right. that's part of the reason, too, why they were never able to tear it down because it was so solid. Um, it would have cost way more money. Wow. And, and he built it for his wife, Agnes, but Agnes died shortly after the home was built. And so like a lot of these families, they can't afford these mansions over time. So in 1949, uh, the St. Augustine Boys Seminary purchased the mansion. And then you had this boys' mm-hmm. school. Uh, you had nuns that were living there. And by the 1970s, the mansion was used by the state police. And they had also built a minimum security prison on the property. And when wow. the state police left the mansion, they were the ones that had put drop ceilings in and had just ruined a lot of the woodwork and damaged Hmm. it. And when they left the mansion, they just boarded it up and walked away. And then there it just sat. And so the Hmm. township finally sold it to, uh, I think, uh, well, there was a historical society that started coming in saying, hey, we'd like to fix this up. And so now it's on the historical register list for Michigan. But as it was getting fixed up, Uh the volunteers were experiencing strange things and didn't want to stay there after like it got dark. So Hmm. they called up our ghost group and said, Hey, do you guys want to come check this place out? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, the leader of the group had an idea that, Hey, let's start offering tours through the mansion and charge people. And this money will go towards the restoration of the mansion. So that became really popular, uh, helped raise a lot of money for the restoration and around, I think it was around the fall we had this cool little event where people could come and ghost hunt all night. And we even had access to the minimum security prison. We could still get into there at the time it's torn down. Now it's gone, but we were on the third floor because it has a ballroom on the third floor and we had cameras set up at night and we were positioned. We had positioned the cameras towards a dark corner. Everyone's just standing around. It's like two in the morning. You're starting to get tired. 
we're watching these video monitors, hoping to see something strange, when all of a sudden in that corner, uh, the only way I can describe them is that they're called shadow people. And you mm -hmm. see this human-like figure just form in the darkness, and it looked, it has like a density. It's like darker than the shadows around it. And wow. it looked like it was sweeping. And I, cleaning ghosts <laughs> or something. You know, right, I don't right. know what that was. And then a second figure formed next to it, and then they just kind of vanished. And huh. you know, everyone's getting goosebumps and freaking out and what will. And then mm -hmm. we tried to recreate it. Did anybody walk past, you know, a light source or something? And no one could recreate it. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just a really like, wow. Like I really looking into this strange stuff for all these years, I can still count on like one hand how many things I've seen that I'm like, well, couldn't explain that one. Mm -hmm. And that was a pretty cool moment. And there was a lot of moments at that mansion. There was a big, beautiful fountain in the garden. And mm -hmm. my buddy Tom was standing out there and he was sensitive to things. Well, one of another another friend who was on one of the tours, he had stepped outside for a break and he happened to look over by the fountain and saw Tom standing there and he saw him standing next to someone and they were really close together. So he's hmm. like, oh, maybe he met someone tonight. I'll, you know, I'll have to ask him about that later. So mm -hmm. later when he said, saw Tom, he said, hey, who are you standing, you know, getting chummy with by the fountain? And Tom was like, I wasn't standing next to anybody. And, but hmm. at that moment, Tom said he felt like this chilly, weird energy next to him so he didn't see anything. He felt something. But our other friend, Doug, happened to look over and actually see someone physically next to him. So, wow. so was there people that died in that mansion over the years? Or is that... I know. I know, Agnes. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if she passed away in that mansion or not. My, um, I'm sure someone over time passed must away there. Have, but I mean, there's have, nothing... Yeah stranger uh hmm. notable about anybody passing there you know not right. like any murders or suspicious things like that just an old mm -hmm. house that's been around and you know i'm sure people have come and gone from it interesting yeah of course you don't know what was built there before that too you know there could be i, I think honestly i think a lot of it was just dune lands mm -hmm. uh and uh along the the shore there so uh, that's that's an interesting story, and it kind of combines with the Melonhead legend of Holland. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Melonheads, but I have heard reference to it, and I think I remember hearing about it. But I don't offhand, yeah. I can't remember exactly what it. I I find this interesting because so often when you're looking up supernatural legends, you'll see similarities around mm -hmm. the United States, even sometimes the globe. Well, the Melonheads seem to be really exclusive to West Michigan. Okay. Um, they have, I, I joke, but they have cousins in Northern Ohio and Connecticut. Mm -hmm. But like, these are the only places you see or hear about these Melonheads. And the origin story is very similar with, with the other stories like in Ohio. Uh, you have a doctor, there was a hospital somewhere in the Saugatuck area mm -hmm. and the doctor, worked on children who had the condition who were hydrocephalic so they had this you know these large heads extra water on the brain and okay. his funding runs out and for some reason he just opens his doors and lets these hydrocephalic children run free and they never grow up and they develop the ability to run at cheetah-like speeds they chase cars <laughs> they hide in the woods they attack it's just it's I, this it makes me laugh right. and so what's funny is this kind of, it got started, I think, sometime in the 60s. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And my buddy, Tom, the same one that I was just talking about with the Felt Mansion, when he grew up, he grew up with stories of these melon heads wandering the woods in Saugatuck. And right, so right. he was part of the AV club back in the day, in his high school days. And they had a battery-powered reel-to-reel. So they would mm-hmm. go out to the Saugatuck State Park, which was a common makeout area. Cars would pull up. They'd see the windows start to fog up. And they'd be, meanwhile, in the woods hiding with their battery-powered reel-to-reel that had spooky sounds on it, and they'd start (laughs) playing it. So these sounds would come from the woods. Who knows what the couple in the car was hearing, but eventually they'd come tearing out of the woods, bang on the car, and Tom said every time those cars just tore out of there like, you know, the devil was behind (laughs) them. And I thought, Tom, you're the reason why people probably perpetuated this myth of the melon head saying, you know, me and Sandy oh, were yeah. looking out in the 60s and the Melonheads came out of the woods. Yeah. And it's just Tom and his band of Merry Melonheads. Right. So <laughs> it just kind of continued on in, in weird ways. And um, after I wrote my book, I, I, I did it. And when I was working on the book, I did find an area around the Saugatuck, the area of the Felt Mansion where these Melonheads roam. And it mm-hmm. was a, a kind of a camp for children who were disabled. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know, if you got disabled children, special needs, um, you never know what people are going to start saying about those kids or how weird little things, stories start making fun of them, whatever. Right, and, right. You know, so you're just trying to come up with theories how this came about mm-hmm. out of seemingly nowhere. Well, a reporter for the Grand Haven Tribune ended up finding and talking to someone who went to the St. Augustine Boys Seminary. And he said that the public school kids called the seminary school kids melon heads because Mm. they were so much smarter than the public school kids. So it makes you wonder if like that was the origin right then and there. And then it just kind of mutated as folklore can do over time where next thing you know, they're, you know, insane little beans that never age and attack you and... (laughs) Oh, yeah, because, you know, there's the old datum out there where there's no information about something people will invent it. And yeah. I think there's a lot of that with some of these legends and urban legends, because you oh, look yeah. up the actual facts about it and um, and it's not what was what happens. And I find that a lot when you're dealing with trying to research a story about history. And for example, that Sarah Haviland story I mentioned earlier, I found a lot of surrounding articles about it and they all had different things and and the data was conflicting and it was really hard i said what i really need is the trial transcripts right and i kept researching and i found them and in the trial transcripts it laid out the story which was completely different than what was being reported in the press 20 years later of what happened and 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 you see that kind of contrast so I, i learned a lot when looking at old newspapers trying to dig up a particular story that it's it's it can be confusing because a lot of opinion, especially in the old newspapers, was interjected into a story that yep. you know people invented something because they're trying to get an article out, and then these legends grow from that sort of thing, or just like you said, the the, the kids that ran away from somebody storming out of the woods, you know, they went off and told the story, and <laughs> yep. you know, and uh, the whole thing just kind of grows from there. So there's a lot of those legends, I think, that kind of grow but it's interesting they're good you know fireside stories to tell around the campfire and things like that you know yeah they're great 
So any story, other stories coming out of your book on, uh, what is it, Mysterious Michigan that we're going to be seeing later this year? Uh, I, I kind of divided my table of contents into three chunks, uh, speaking with the dead, which, mm -hmm. you know, is the focus on the spiritualism, um, legend, lore, and ghosts. And I, I really wanted to add some stories that people people will be familiar with if they are mm -hmm. interested in this kind of topic, such as uh, the Nyan Rouge, which is one of the oldest legends out of Detroit. He's this mm -hmm. little creepy goblin-like protector that may be a protector or may be someone who brings danger and doom and gloom to Detroit. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to give a slightly different spin on a few of these stories I liked. Also, the, the ghost of Minnie Quay, which is real popular in the thumb area of Michigan. Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of put a different slant on that. And like you said, when you read about these legends and then you actually look up the history and if you can find stuff, sometimes it's right. like, oh, wait, wait a minute. This is this yeah. is kind of the real story or, or where it came from or, or what we do know about it. And this right. is how it's changed. So I wanted to include a few things. And and plus, I know there's a lot of people that those stories will be completely new to them. Mm -hmm. um, and then I kind of have a segment on this just strange and unusual. I found a lot of people in the early, the, the latter half of the 19th century, early 1900 or early 20th century that had a, still had very superstitious beliefs in old witchcraft ideas. Right. Uh, that if their crops failed, they were, you know, there must be a witch cursing them. And so I found a lot of interesting, bizarre stories connected with those kind of beliefs that I put in there uh, that were really fun to write about, um, including a murder that was a little shocking. And I won't, I may have found an escaped convict mm -hmm. uh, over a hundred years later uh, by wow. looking up this story. That, that will just be my, my teaser. Um, and uh, so it's, it's, it's fun. There was a couple of the stories I really, that I really liked. Uh, if anyone out there really knows uh, their Michigan history, they might be familiar with the name of Eber Ward. And okay. Eber Ward was the first millionaire in Michigan and Detroit. And at one point was probably one of the richest men in the Midwest. Hmm. And he was something of a business genius. He just, he got early on during the industrial revolution, he, he kind of helped catapult it and keep it moving forward and helped it mm -hmm. uh, because he had pokers and everything from steel to railroads to lumber. Mm -hmm. Uh, shipping business. And I had looked up if the Fox sisters of spiritualism fame had ever come through Michigan anywhere, had done a tour or a speaking engagement. And I mm -hmm. happened to find uh, Margaret, who was just known as Maggie. I happened to find her at a court case testifying oh. for this Eber Ward will because wow. he had died and he's got Boku bucks and right. now his family are fighting because he had been remarried so the you know the second wife's fighting and the first family's fighting but the uh he eber ward was known to go to tons of mediums throughout his career and get advice on all of his business and so they wanted to say that his will which he created with the help of these mediums was null and void because basically he was insane which he wasn't Right, but right. you had to argue, hey, like, what's the difference between someone seeking advice from a medium mm -hmm. versus someone asking, you know, God through prayer or something? So it was an interesting right. court case. 
So Eber Ward is one of my favorite stories in there. And he's also getting some notoriety soon. I think people finally, he's not forgotten so much. Someone from, I forget what college, uh, like a Ludington Community College, something over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, there's a professor over there that wrote a book on Eber Ward's life. And I noticed it was coming out through Wayne State University Press. So I think not till November, but I'm excited for that because I don't want to write a book on his whole life because like the whole shipping and steel and like those kind of things, I'm like, a little, a little boring. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm interested in that sensational end. Top- yeah. Some of those topics are a little hard to make interesting. You'd have to mm-hmm. really, um, yeah, you have to really have a, a skill at telling that kind of a story to yeah. capture so, a wide audience. Yeah. We got, so how, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so how can people pre-order your new book? Cause I know it's coming out. <laughs> I forgot what time you said you said it was August or uh, yeah, October. I, think, I believe it's August 29th. Okay. Um, but you can find it anywhere. Books, books are sold. You can pre-order on Barnes and Noble. You can pre-order on Amazon. Um, when the book comes out, I'll probably have a certain amount of copies available on my website that if you want to purchase like a signed copy or inscribed or something, um, you can purchase directly through me. Uh, but it's, it's wherever books are sold. Great. So I can put the links to those things in the description of this podcast. Yeah, You can already find it on Amazon, um, right now. It's the pre-order is already there. Okay. All right. Great. Well, any other last little story you want to tell us before we wrap up today's show? I just, I, you know, if people listening out to this have stories that they grew up with, legends, mm-hmm. um, if you've ever had something strange and unusual happen to you, I love to hear people's stories, especially especially fellow Michiganders. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were, if anything we were talking about, Felt Mansion, melon heads, did you grow up with the melon heads? Do you have a different version or here's stuff in the sixties and seventies? Right. Um, I love to collect those cause they just add to trying to track that history and how this legends, these legends have, you know, changed and morphed through the years. I love collecting that kind of information. So, um, hit me up on, uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me. I, I don't have much of a social media presence cause I'm ugh, social media, ugh, not my right, favorite. Right. But you can always hit up my websites, um, mysteriousmichigan.com, amberosehammond.com, and send me an email. But, yeah, I'd love okay. to hear from you. All right, great. Well, I've been talking with Amber Rose Hammond, an author of several books. She's got a new book coming out real soon called Mysterious Michigan. And it includes some great tales of Southwest Michigan's past as well as other parts of Michigan. So look forward to that book and definitely get yourself a copy. And if you like today's episode, please be sure to take a minute to leave a review on whatever app that you are listening to. And once again, thanks for joining me as we take another journey through tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.